You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's a rare Monday night where we get not one, but two Monday night football games between playoff teams, hopefully, throughout the course of the year that are going to give each other the best of what they've got tonight. One game underway, and it's already a good one, as the Titans are taking on the Bills, tied at seven each. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Right now, you can check out Obviously, the Titans and Bills on ESPN. Uh, and then at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, we will get Vikings and Eagles. That's on ABC and also on ESPN+. Plus. So you can get uh, out there and watch the game then. Uh, the Titans have opened up their offense a little bit, Sarah, and uh, we wondered if it, would look, uh, if it would look any different. They are trying to make that happen. Both teams are aggressive in their play calling, but you've ended up with a 7-7 game as we are early in the second quarter. Yeah, you're right. Uh, we've seen a bit from from Henry, 13 yards only, but got that touchdown. Um, and you've already seen four receptions from Stefan Diggs. You mentioned he's usually coming up big on Monday night. So early on, uh, both quarterbacks fine. Uh, a little bit more action from Josh Allen through the air, but uh, good for the Titans for it to be a tied game right now. Yeah, absolutely. And also Taylor Lewan, the left tackle for the Titans, injured in the first quarter. We'll keep you updated if we hear anything Uh, on his return obviously in addition to all of that sarah i spent some time celebrating we'll get back to football action in a minute fear not because it wasn't about that uh yeah i wasn't celebrating the raiders (laughs) my god no i'm still i'm still hurt there's so much of me that's dark but uh one thing that i've definitely done is celebrate with my wallet over the last 24 hours i bought a substantial amount of champion gear it's first time really in my life i get to do this and the las vegas aces are WNBA champions Fulfilling oh a, a year the first of time. To, yeah, I've never seen a championship as a, a fan of any oh team. Oh my god! Any team. I've that never. is so depressing. Oh, uh, like I sat there in front of the TV, like so. Just like I, I mean, uh, you know, obviously I'm trying to eat right and take care of myself right now, so I wasn't splurging a lot. But I poured a, a little bit of liquor into a glass and I had a little sip of it while I I watched. The clock run down on a game that was tight at times between the Sun and the Aces. And, and just seeing that moment of the trophy hoisted, Mark Davis being there, seeing the celebration from Becky Hammond and all of the amazing players from this Aces team. They were resilient. They never backed down in this playoff. They never backed down in this season. I thought they were the best team throughout the course of the majority of the WNBA season, and they proved it in the end. It was a very proud moment for me as a as a Las mm. Vegas in Las Vegas. I'm very excited for you. I'm still my face. If you could see it, I mean, wow, holy cow, that's so sad. Um, I know that you don't have as many professional teams that you root for, right? You don't really have a baseball team, even though we tried to find you one. You don't really have an NBA team, so that kind of cuts things out. I don't know. Do you have a hockey team? I mean, at this point, I'm all. Uh, I mean, was it really just the just split, that the Raiders always on the, let you down? I, I'm split on the the Preds and the Golden Knights. I got you know I got okay, a little bit of split right, allegiance, right. which is so weird. You, have, Same you had a couple but, opportunities, but yeah. most of that just boils down to the Raiders letting you down for your entire life. Yeah, that's most of my okay. life. I, I grew well, I was, up a big Lakers fan when I was a okay. little kid, but the Kobe situation was really when I sort of separated right. from it, and then no longer. And I did see a UNLV championship when I was very little, but it's hard to re- like I was ten. It's hard to remember that as as any sort of a, a great glowing moment. I have the VHS tape, but I don't, uh, I, you know, wow, it's hard to find a VCR. that's just crazy, dude. Um, let's talk about the Aces because <laughs> there's there's a lot there. It's not just that this was a team that was a favorite from the beginning and they fulfilled that destiny and expectation, but this team won so much. Not just the title, but 
MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, Commissioner's Cup. Um, this is a team that start to finish, even though there were some teams that certainly, you know, the sky, a lot of people had as much talent and more depth as, as, as was the take on them. They were the ones that got it done. And I anticipate this Aces team, if they all come back, which I think most of them are under contract to, you've got an opportunity for truly a dynastic run. That's, I think, one of the most incredible parts about it because you're talking about what this means for the city. And I narrated a piece for one of our WNBA shows uh, about what it means for Las Vegas to get their first professional major sports championship. And I think it cements sort of a, a legacy that that will hit different with kids, with people that are that just discovered the league. And part of that is because of the star power and the way they play and uh, the big names. So having them come back is important. And you know, little things like having, I mean, it's not a little thing, but having a parade on the strip is something that Huge. Vegas has never had to, to think about in modern times. They did for UNLV in 90, but they haven't since. And Asia Wilson, by the way, uh, Aces superstar, this is what she said about what she wants from the fans at the parade. Tell Vegas how they should come into this parade and the energy level and where Vegas, it's going to be at. You have to take four shots. Children, take shots of ginger ale, but you got to take four <laughs> shots before you pull up to the parade and drink responsibly. But in order to get to the parade, you gotta be four shots in. It's unacceptable <laughs> if you're not. The, uh, the Bellagio Fountains, we skiing across that thing. We going crazy. Because like, I don't think people understand how important this really is. This is huge. If you ain't, if you ain't four shots in, don't come, stay at the house. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. And when she said, I don't think people realize how big this is, to your point, Fitz, not only for a city that's finally getting professional teams after years of people shying away from the potential of gambling and everything else, but also that they get to be the first because there are so many things that the investment isn't there, the expectation isn't there, the nostalgia, the history. You know, you didn't go watch the Aces with your grandma and your grandpa, so it feels a little different. For them to go down as the first real big sports pro team, to get to be the first with the parade, to set a standard for a lot of it is just it's really cool. Yeah, and the investment that the team has in the city and the city then gets with the team. Like, one thing that really surprised me when I went out, even to watch the Raiders last year, um, when I went out there, uh, you could see Golden Knights stickers on all the cars. And mm -hmm. I, I was talking to some of the local people I know out there about why. And the answer I got was, you know, a lot of people grow up with their favorite football team. So you might, you know, you move from somewhere else, you, you have a favorite football team. Not a lot of people grew up necessarily with a favorite hockey team. So when the Golden Knights came to town, it was easy for everybody there to gravitate to it. Not a lot of people grew up with a favorite WNBA team yeah. that are living in Vegas right now. And so having the aces, the logo, the colors, all of it sort of reaches, it, it's easy to reach to the community and create uh, roots, And that's what I keep thinking about is that the WNBA gets another sort of pillar, another landmark franchise, because we talk about the great franchises, Seattle, Chicago. I think the Aces become one of those great franchises because of the championship, because of the investment Mark Davis is putting into this team, uh, Becky Hammond and what she has meant to this organization. I mean, all of this comes together and it feels very reminiscent of those Stacey Augman, Larry Johnson, Tarkanian days when superstar names around basketball ruled Vegas. 
Yeah. And I, I think that's a great point, Fitz, that you're not having to replace any loyalty or add another team. You just get to hop on board. And there's also a real identity. We know this to sports, right? It becomes a part of who we are, not what we like. That's why we say we won the game instead of <laughs> right. they, because it truly is tribal and you associate it with your city and it becomes a part of who you are, that we're the championship. And so to set a precedent this early in the team's existence with a championship people love winners people love winners and i love that mark davis decided to be there for the finals instead of at the raiders game owner of both teams he's letting you know that there's value there he's telling you what priority is a wnba finals game with a title on the line over a regular season game um it's just it's been really really fun to watch this team and i think they're doing something huge for that city especially given the outcome Really bummed I didn't go to Mohegan on Sunday. Come yeah, on. That's come the way on. Should have gone. You I'm stayed gonna... home. Mark Davis had it right, and his loyalty was right, and you need to learn. You know, Mark Davis probably was thankful I was out of the room because we all know if <laughs> I'd have been there, this thing would be going back to Vegas for another game. All right. Uh, we got to get back to the NFL. Time to go around the league and hear some of the lasting sound bites. Are they good takes? Are they hot takes? You know we'll hold everybody accountable next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. This is a dangerous song, Fitz. I'm having a lot of thunder drunk flashbacks. I mean, there is this I, moment of, yeah, this only leads I am to- immediately drunk when I hear this song. <laughs> this is the song you use for thunder drunk. If you haven't played it, get on board. But if I hear the beginning of this song, I immediately feel a little bit ill. Yeah, I, all I know is I need this, like, just queued up for next Sunday, win or lose. <laughs> I, 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 can't, I can't handle it anymore. We're just going to see where things go. Spain and Fitz. On ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. You can tweet us, but only if you're not a moron. You can hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. <laughs> that eliminates <laughs> most people. At Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. You could tweet us, but I'm just going to be saucy with you and tell you all, I really don't care about your opinions today. I mean, you yeah. can tweet us. It's fine. Yeah. I'm just still in my field. So if I you- just blocked someone like seconds ago. So that tells you, just seconds. I'm, I, I can't even imagine when my numbers are at now for blocks. I just have given up on giving a single you-know-what about people who are going to be rude. I mean, Don't I, even get a second chance. Just I, was, I was willing to lose long friendships yesterday. Nonetheless, Twitter people, so uh, right, come right. at me. I, I dare you, Twitter. I don't care anymore. All right. It's time for a little good take, hot take. Let's break down some of the best of the best and the worst of the worst. Boom. Hot take, hot it's time to rate the takes of the day. Are they good takes? The season is over. <laughs> I mean, one game in. Or hot takes. This is why I called out and said Kirk Cousins is going to be the MVP. It's good take, hot take on Spain and Fitz. All right, you know what the drill is. We're going to l- listen to some of the best takes, some of the worst takes. Tell you what we think of him, and it starts with Rex Ryan, ESPN NFL analyst. He was on Greeny, and he gave us his take on Joe Burrow and the Bengals' issues. Not just his offensive line for the Bengals, but it's how rusty the quarterback looks. Even when he's protected, he's just not in it right now. He's speeding through his reads, all that. Could that be because he doesn't trust the offensive line? Look, he's never had protection since he was drafted by Cincinnati. So to me, he missed all that time, and it's showing right now. Mm. All right, sir. what do you think? Good take, hot take? So I was listening to ESPN Daily this morning, Alex Smith and Pablo, 
And normally I would say I trust a quarterback like Alex Smith to tell you whether some of the sacks he's taken are his fault. And Alex said no. He watched them all, and he didn't think so. But he might be protecting one of his own because I've heard plenty of other folks say some of those are on Joe. And you're watching the game, and you certainly see issues with that offensive line. But you also see a guy who looks to have a couple open men on short passes that will at least get you get you not knocked on your butt. And you see a couple where he at least could have thrown the ball away. At this point, I think they're both looking at each other, both Joe Burrow looking at the offensive line and saying, give me some help here. And maybe hot take the offensive line is looking at him and saying, you got to help us out too. Let me give you a stat real quick. Andrew Luck, first 33 games, including the playoffs, sacked 76 times. David Carr, first 32 games, sacked 101. That's sort of like the record, right? We always think of David Carr. Joe Burrow, 115 times in his first 32 games, including the playoffs. It's worse than the David Carr situation that goes down as sort of like a record that could never be beaten. So I'm looking at everybody here. I'm pointing the finger also at coaching. And you need to adjust more because this looks just like last year where you're just letting it happen. Alright, I, I agree with you. I think this is a good take. And good. I think you know, I'm gonna go back to Saturday this week. I was working with AJ McCarron, the national champion from Alabama, multi times, uh, multiple times, and uh, we were just talking about quarterback play. And he said the two things you always have to remember, and it doesn't matter whether you're in the college level or whether you're in the NFL. Said so principle one that you're taught is touchdown check down in most offenses. So if the touchdown's not there on a bunch of the play calls, you immediately go to the check down, live to see another play. The other portion of it is uh, you know, one of his offensive coordinators and Nick Saban used to tell them every single meeting in the quarterback room, take what the defense gives you and eventually the defense will give you the game. And there's a, mm. a, a mindset to that that I don't know that is part of how Joe Burrow's wired at all. And it can be hugely successful for him. But this is going to be the collateral damage to that. Like, if, if every single time you're trying to, to make your point against the defense, eventually you're going, to get to, you're going to get beat. And that's what's happening right now for the Bengals, I think. So blame to go all the way around. Let's, uh, let's stick with Greeny's show uh, because Greeny had hit, uh, a pretty big take today. Uh, you can check out Greeny, by the way, on ESPN Radio when he said this about the 49ers. The injury to Trey Lance is horrible. I feel terrible for him. Young quarterbacks don't take three years off very often. But for the purposes of this season, for the chances of winning a championship this year, which I think is within their grasp, the 49ers are better off with Jimmy Garoppolo as their quarterback than Trey Lance. Ugh. I want to say good take. I agree with it. But I also would say incomplete take because we don't know what they could have been with Trey Lance. We have not seen enough. That was the whole point of this season. That was the whole point of them elevating him to QB1 and being willing to say goodbye to Jimmy. Jimmy's got a ceiling. It's a high one. It's a very high one. It's a Super Bowl high ceiling. We don't know what Trey Lance could have been, but I think it's a good take right now because I have to tell you, when Jimmy came in, I felt more confident in them winning the game. Uh, Right now, today. That's a hard part about this because I agree with you. Today, I think this is a good take. Good. For the future of the 49ers, they're, this, is not, this is not a great situation. Like today, they're a better team, but they have no idea what to do with their quarterback situation now. We could end up with a, a, a high draft pick at the quarterback position that ends up being wasted through nobody's fault. It's just the way that this, uh, the way that this is broken down. And to that end, there's a second side to the story because Dan Orlovsky, ESPN NFL analyst, said this on Get Up about what he thinks with the 49ers. 
We know who this 49ers team is with Jimmy Garoppolo. They're good, but they're not championship caliber. This is not the same defense that they've had in the years past. The reason they got Trey Lance or went to, to go get Trey Lance and gave him the job because they wanted more and better out of their quarterback position. They're going to be really good, but they're still going to be kept at a ceiling of can Jimmy G take them to places that he hasn't been able to. Mm. I just disagree. I think it's a new season and a new team, and I think Jimmy's ceiling again is high enough that that's a hot take. I don't think we know for sure exactly how far they can go, especially looking across that conference. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think it's a hot take. And what I think Orlovsky is forgetting is that the 49ers were also clear from the outset that part of the reason they wanted a different quarterback solution was because Jimmy G has struggled to stay healthy. Now Trey Lance is not healthy. Like it, like it or not, mm-hmm. it's just part of this this sort of equation for them. So I, I, I think that's a hot take. Speaking of hot takes, nobody gives them better than Stephen A. <laughs> this is what Stephen A. Smith had to say on first take. We're about to fight. I'm going to pick the Raiders. Derek Carr was supposed to be arriving. Josh McDaniel is there. He's an offensive mind that has been considered pretty close to brilliant with all of his years in New England. You got Devontae Adams there as an elite receiver. You got uh, Josh Jacobs coming out of the backfield. Um, You just look, you got Waller as your tight end. The fact of the matter is when you look at the Las Vegas Raiders, you expected more. The reality is that, yeah, you lost to the Chargers yesterday, but you were supposed to win that game against Arizona. And the fact that you couldn't stop the bleeding and Arizona came back on you, I'm looking at you with raised eyebrows. So that's his vote for the most disappointing team in the NFL. And that's a hot take. I mean, yes, they're 0-2, and yeah, they lost to a Cardinals team they should have beat. But if I told you before the season started that they would lose to the Cardinals and the Chargers the first two weeks, two teams that some people had in the playoff hunt in both conferences, I don't think people would look at that as a disaster. If I told you that the Colts were going to be 0-1-1 with a tie to the Texans and a loss to the Jags, that's disappointing. The Bengals are 0-2 also. That's disappointing. Yeah, I was going to say the Colts, um, I, maybe I had a little too much belief in them, but this is a terrible start for them against bad teams, whereas the Raiders at least play in good teams. And then I would say the same thing. The Bengals, to me, I have a lot of real long-term concerns. My concerns for the Raiders are that collapse, but I think they'll pick things together and get better. Yeah, I, there are plenty of concerns to have for the Raiders, but I still think that they're going to even out to be a very good team, and they've got some weeks ahead of us where they can prove exactly who they are. The Eagles and Vikings are set to get underway. That's right. We have two Monday night football games that we got to get caught up on one and ready for the next. We'll do all of that next for you. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. It's Monday night, which means two, count them, two Monday night football games, one underway now, and then Vikings at Eagles, 8.20 p.m. start uh, Eastern time on ABC and ESPN+. Plus. The Monday night football preview is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. To cover the Vikings half of this matchup, let's bring in Star Tribune Vikings reporter Ben Gessling. Hey, let's talk about this team under Kevin O'Connell. Just through that first week and heading into this matchup, what's the biggest difference you're noticing? Well, there's there's been a lot of them, but I, I guess the way I would sum it up is there's more trust, I think, in players doing what they do best and a willingness to kind of let them do that than there perhaps was under Mike Zimmer, and you especially see it on the offensive side of the ball. I think you've seen them turn just Jefferson loose. You're going to see more of that probably happen throughout the year. And, and Kirk Cousins just seems more empowered to be 
the leader of the team. I think he's been more vocal. I think they're encouraging that. I think the relationship with Kevin O'Connell is stronger and more kind of a two-way street than it probably was with Mike Zimmer. And I, everybody seems to be feeding off of that. I, I think that is partially who Kevin O'Connell is, but there's also been, I think, a, a focus on saying, hey, this is going to be different. We are going to treat players a little bit differently than we did in the past. And so far, players are feeding well off of it. I mean, everything's great when you're winning, but uh, so far, so good for the Vikings on that front. Kirk Cousins obviously is such a huge part of how far this Vikings team can go. And I think most people, even those who maybe were totally out on him, would say he's an NFL quarterback and a pretty good one. But there's a ceiling there, you know, and I wonder, do you think it's teachable to make Kirk a better player when it comes to reading the field, adjusting to what the defense is giving, seeing something that he didn't expect that's not going to be on the whiteboard that a team's going to show up with? Or is that something that you kind of just have to build and and plan around a guy who's maybe never going to be that great at that yeah i mean that's kind of the the 30 million dollar question or or so somewhere around there (laughs) with kirk cousins i think is that how much higher can the ceiling be i mean he is a quarterback who i think by his own admission is very deliberate in his preparation and i think sometimes that can lead to you process things kind of in a in a systematic order on the field he's probably not going to go be Patrick Mahomes where it's just hey I can go out there and and make things happen on the fly and and sling it and that's going to be a big part of my game I do think though that throws like the one you saw him make last week where he steps up in the pocket sees Justin Jefferson breaking across the field hits him for 64 yards that was a little bit more of a confident kind of assertive play than you see from Cousins a lot of the time and and I think that's the big bet is that Kevin O'Connell can get a little bit more out of him O'Connell himself has said I don't need Kirk to make a huge improvement. And he's realistic about the fact that in year 11, you're probably not going to see a guy change a whole lot. But I think they feel like if we can get him to be a little more aggressive, pushing the ball downfield, a little more willing to trust himself and, and give his outstanding receiving core chances to make plays, I think they feel like there's enough of a ceiling, enough opportunity to bump that ceiling just a little bit higher that you can go win with him and, and see how far he can take him. The good news is it's Monday Night Football, so that's uh, – oh, wait, hold on a minute. That makes things even tougher for Kirk Cousins. Worst record on Monday Night Football in NFL history with at least 10 starts. He'll be looking to continue to change – On a two-game winning uh, streak, though, so there's, yeah, you've got yeah. that going for him. That's why I said continue to change the uh, the narrative there. We'll see We'll see how it goes tonight. It's Spain and Fitz. We're talking to Ben Gessling of the Star Tribune, Vikings reporter there, ahead of Vikings-Eagles tonight, one half of the Monday Night Football slate. This Vikings pass rush is going to make things tough for Jalen Hurts, but this is also an Eagles team that feasts on defenses that tend to use a light box up front. I wonder what you think the approach will be for the Vikings in terms of dealing with Jalen Hurts' legs and their approach to to blitzing and pressure. Yeah, I do think it's going to have to be different than what they've done last week. You're absolutely right. They're in that Vic Fangio, Brandon Staley kind of model where they like the light boxes and we're going to trade five or six yard runs for taking away the downfield stuff. But Jalen Hurts can make you pay doing that. And the Eagles showed that last week. They showed it really throughout Jalen Hurts' time here. So I, I think they are going to have to probably be a little bit heavier up front, maybe put a seventh defender in the box to account for Hurts, account for Miles Sanders, probably try to figure out some ways to rush him so that he doesn't have escape lanes as you come after him. But a lot of this, I, I think, is going to be trying to figure that out and making him beat you as a quarterback. So I, I think they know – we have a better chance to win this game if Jalen Hurts is not running around making us have to, to cover for six or seven seconds or making us try to cover him when he's off as a running back and, and basically making himself an extra ball carrier. So I, I think that is going to be a big part of their game plan is can they get pressure up the middle? Can they 
cover long enough without maybe having that extra help downfield? And, and can they uh, pen him in enough that he has to go say, I'm going to throw it and uh, I'm going to have to deal with pressure. He was not very good in that Lions game when he was pressured and he had to throw. So I think the Vikings know that and, and making him lean on that part of his game is going to be a big focus for them tonight. All right, 30 seconds or less. Last one for you. We have a segment here called Good Take, Hot Take. And a week or so ago, Michael Irvin said, Justin Jefferson's going to break every record, and he's going to be the reason Kirk Cousins is the MVP. Now, I'm not going to make you uh, chime in on the MVP <laughs> part, but what, I mean, just how good do you think Justin Jefferson might be this year? I think that's a good take, at least on the Jefferson part of things. We'll right. see how all of that goes. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think given his skill set, given all of the things they want to do with him. We saw a lot of it with Cooper Cup, and I think they have other things even planned for Justin Jefferson that maybe go beyond that. So I think you're going to see him be a big focus of the offense. He, I mean, he was breaking records in year one and year two in an offense that wanted to run the ball. So I think if they turn him loose, certainly he's got a chance to break a lot of these records, have a big year, and then put himself as the next guy to go get that big contract when he's eligible for it next spring. Awesome stuff. Ben, looking forward to the game tonight. Thanks for the insight. You got it. Thanks, Sarah. To give us the other half of tonight's matchup, it's Eagles reporter Tim McManus. Tim, let's start with what you saw in week one. There were a lot of questions about this team after last year. They tried to start with a more balanced offense. Then they ran way more and got way more efficient. Uh, Did you see anything in week one that might give you a hint as to how the offense is going to approach their roster this season? I think Coach Nick Sirianni's comments afterwards were really telling when he said that Jalen Hurts saw the field perfectly and then was it was in complete control. Um, you know, that was a, a good sign from his perspective that Hurts was, was seeing the offense really well, functioning well in it. We all know that he's a, a really good playmaker. The big question coming into the season, how is he going to kind of function in the offense? Can he get the rhythm passes going and uh, not always, you know, rely on the big splash plays, including with his feet. And uh, they saw some some real steady progress, I think, in that way in week one. Of course, the other thing that you saw, A.J. Brown just getting a ton of targets, you know, 13 of them, catches 10 for 155 yards. That's Jalen Hurts' best friend. It's already his security blanket. You saw him working off the, the run-pass option game, the RPO game, really well. Brown operating over the middle of the field, running after the catch. Uh, you saw an instant comfort level between quarterback and receiver. We uh, Speaking of receivers, they've got their number one wide out, wide out now and picking up Brown, but there will always be hanging over their heads the fact that they went for Jalen Rager instead of Justin Jefferson. How much is that a conversation around those parts ahead of uh, facing off against the Vikings tonight? Oh, man, that's been a major point of conversation really ever since the draft went down because most fans saw what uh, pundits and analysts were thinking, and that was, you know, Jefferson is the pick here. Uh, But they went in a different direction. Uh, Howie Roseman recently, their general manager, said that, you know, we'd like to have that moment back. And certainly it's uh, been a a point of consternation in Philadelphia for a number of years and, and leading into this game to a certain extent. But but also now that some time has passed and the Eagles have made some headway at the wide receiver position, it stings a little bit less now that they have A.J. Brown, who they acquired on draft day, then gave a big $100 million contract to. They drafted Devontae Smith with the 10th overall pick the year before that. They feel really good about what they have cooking at receiver on their own side now. So while, yes, those uh, memories will certainly come back in, in rushes uh, tonight with Jefferson on the field in purple, feel pretty good about where their receiver position stands. 
Tim McManus. You can follow him at Tim underscore McManus. Covers the Eagles for ESPN. Vikings Eagles 820 Eastern on ABC and ESPN+. Plus. Uh, there were some interesting stats that came out of the defensive side of the ball after week one. 181 yards and three touchdowns on the ground to the Lions. And Jordan Davis out for most of those big bursts. According to Next Gen, the Eagles allowed 10 yards per carry when he wasn't on the field, 2.9 yards per carry while he was in there. How much of a big deal might he be to getting this run defense on track here? Well, yeah, I don't know what other stats you need to see other than those to <laughs> right. suggest that that he needs to be in there, right, uh, impacting it. And, and that's when they were running some more of their, their five-man fronts seem to be a better fit for them overall. And, uh, you know, I know that entering this, entering that draft, like the Eagles felt he could do more than just be a run stuffer. They think that, you know, with his athletic body that he, you know, even though he's six foot six and 350 pounds like that, he can still get after the quarterback, uh, you know, running a, a four, six forty at the combine, like that he's, he's got it uh, in his body for sure. Uh, but, yeah, it's a good place to start. Just allow him to be kind of the uh, the tackle absorber, the block absorber as at the nose guard position. Um, you know, take on some of those double teams, free up things for the other defensive linemen and for the linebackers to run downhill. I think that's a, a major point of emphasis. You know, another part that we have to look at is that the Eagles had like a country club training camp. You know, they didn't tackle hardly at all. It seemed like they had every other day off. And um, and you could see with the run fits and the tackling, very poor in week one. So I'm curious to see whether you know that gets uh, cured here week two. Tim McManus talking Eagles with us here on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain on ESPN Radio. One of the conversations heading into this season was when you add Jordan Davis, when you add Hassan Reddick, how does that change how the defense might look in terms of what the coaches would like to see versus what they did because of their roster last season? Pretty passive, pretty conservative last year. Do you see that changing because of some of the weapons that they were given? Well, you would think so. And when I asked, Heading into this season, I asked the defensive coordinator, Jonathan Gannon, like, what's one thing that you would like to change uh, going from year one to year two? And he said, I want to trust my players more. And the way I read that is, you know, let them loose a little bit. Because to your point, like, he played ultra-conservative. Safety's way back, hardly blitzing at all. They threw the, the second-fewest amount of blitzes at opposing quarterbacks last year. That led to the second-fewest amount of sacks in the NFL with 29. Uh, week one was discouraging from that aspect because it didn't really look like he changed very much. He only blitzed Goff six times. That was uh, fifth fewest in the NFL. And uh, he was playing some of that zone, like off coverage, uh, being a little bit too passive when it came to that. Um, so I think that you know, he's got to look at himself in the mirror, uh, you know, big time heading into this matchup. I don't think that you can let Kirk Cousins and Jeff, Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen just tear, tear you apart all day. I think that you have to bring a little heat on Cousins, make him react a little bit faster, move him off of his, his passing mark, and see if you can disrupt what's obviously a very good offense that way. Yeah, and unfortunately, Cousins sort of thrives against the blitz. So how do you get pressure without giving up too much and, and run the risk of letting someone like Jefferson kill you? Going to be a good one tonight. I am excited for this game. Hey, thanks for the insight, Tim. Appreciate it. Sarah, anytime. Thanks for having me. Uh, if you guys uh, picked up on the context clues there, we pre-taped that segment. Uh, and then the game started right on time.
We thought it might be like, hey, let's talk about it before it starts. Uh, either way, really good info. We're seeing the start of this game now, so uh, we'll be able to uh, continue to follow along, see if what those guys thought might go down tonight was right. Looking for a career path with flexibility and great pay and benefits? Go to Progressive.com slash careers and apply online today. Bundle today at Progressive.com. Coming up, we'll update you on both of the Monday night games and our social ask about buyer's remorse in the NFL. It's coming up. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Uh, we were just remembering an old uh, segment that we used to do that we need to bring back. <laughs> I believe it was, I can't remember, I think you were just given some thoughts on the college football slate, but the name was Fitz's Little Bits. <laughs> Did we ever do like in my sufficiently average bits, or was that no, like a, okay. they were always little? Okay, that's probably <laughs> they were fine. very yeah. small. Yeah. Um, we're gonna bring that Tiny. one back. <laughs> um, Titans and Bills going on now. Uh, Titans uh, are trailing seven to seventeen. Really a scary moment there. It, it was a, a long injury break for a player to um, get carted off, taken out on an ambulance after. It looked like one of those plays fits where you get um, your neck pushed back in a direction that it's not supposed to. I believe it was Dane Jackson who uh, was taken off for the Bills. Um, it's, it's a lot of injuries early in this one. Yeah, and we saw Taylor Lewan go off in the first. And, uh, yes, you're right. It is Dane Jackson, and it's one of those things I would I would tell you. Don't bother looking at it because mm-hmm. it looks pretty gruesome, I think. And uh, they had to bring somebody out. Uh, they bring an ambulance out on the field. Uh, hopefully, uh, we'll keep you updated if we get any information on that. Hopefully, he turns out to be just fine. And this was all precautionary. It's been a very interesting first half, though, Sarah, because we've seen, uh, really, frankly, the Titans have done a nice job of opening up the playbook and being a little less predictable. But to that end, they've left a lot of opportunities on the field. They've had big uh, big plays called back due to penalty. They jumped off sides on a fourth uh, fourth and goal from the three-yard line. They, they've made their job more difficult at every turn throughout the course of this. And I think the Titans got to go into the half saying, man, we should be in this game and we are shooting ourselves in the foot. So I'll be curious to see what adjustments we see there. And Stephon Diggs, as uh, as expected, has had a, a nice first half. I think we expected and, you know, given his history with Monday Night Football, that he would have mm-hmm. a big game and he is so far living up to that Feeling good about where you put your cash. I mean, it's sixty-five yards. I need him to get to. Uh, I need him to get to eighty-nine. He's got okay. sixty-five in the we'll first. Watching. Half. Feeling good. Uh, speaking of watching, if you aren't able to right now, you're not somewhere where you could see. We were talking earlier about how they're going to handle these two games uh, crossing streams. And um, every time you th- you say that, I just think of two grown men at a urinal. But go yeah, ahead. Yeah, that's that okay. is what I'm going okay. for. The trough uh, urinals in the old places. Yeah, the streams of like a laser. Uh, you know, in Star Wars, I'm thinking urinals yeah. uh, most of the time. Actually, not just with in the this same analogy. segment as my um, little bits. Go ahead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bring your little bits <laughs> to the urinal for this crossing streams discussion. Um, ESPN PR pointing out uh, and announcing via social media that for the next 90 minutes, NFL fans will see key moments from both games on NBC or sorry, ABC and ESPN while never missing a play from either game on the network that they're watching. So um, it looks like a split screen situation for the key moments and big plays. Uh, So that's, I guess how they're handling these games sort of crossing over. Speaking of that second game, uh, you know, we just did our preview and there's some really interesting elements here, including, uh, you know, Jalen Rager getting picked in, in ahead of Justin Jefferson and uh, eventually, you know, now they've they've got their man, and so it doesn't maybe hurt quite as much uh, for the Eagles. But will Jefferson especially want to go after them for for passing on him? And how you 
you know, offensive line versus quarterbacks in these in this game is going to play out. Right now, it's just a seven nothing Eagles lead over the Vikings on a Jalen Hurts uh, touchdown run. This should be a good one, Fitz. Yeah, absolutely. And Jalen Hurts has started this game six to six, but they just showed us on the TV broadcast five different receivers have caught football so far. So mm. you see Jalen Hurts out there working the ball around, and that's probably going to be important at some point just to make everybody pay attention to whatever uh, anybody else on the field not named A.J. Brown, which will only create more opportunities for A.J. Brown. So uh, I think the, the Eagles have come in, obviously, with the game plan to try and move the football around a little bit and rely on Jalen Hurts' athleticism, hope that he can continue to make the most of this. I, I, you know I'm really hot on this Vikings team. Uh, this is going to be a really good test for both sides. I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely excited to see which team comes out on top because it'll tell us a lot about how these teams look. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm very excited for the rest of this game. I'm also very confused as to how I'm going to handle both games at once. I really like my Mondays to just have a little bit more chill than my Sundays. So I'm a little, I'm, I'm still adjusting. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. You can always hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. That's where we asked you whether there should be any early buyer's remorse for two teams that just inked some quarterbacks to pretty big deals. We asked you, did Kyler Murray show enough in the second half of yesterday's game to assuage early concerns about him as a big money long-term quarterback for the Cardinals and has Russell Wilson struggled enough through the first two games to have Denver fans concerned about their future with him at the helm should either team have early buyers remorse fits 37 and a half people uh, percent said both teams should have early buyers remorse I hmm. worded that particularly and intentionally with early not forever, but right now, maybe be a little worried. 28% said just Broncos. 9% said just Cardinals. 248 said neither. And there were people who said a write-in vote of more concerned about the buyer's remorse with Cliff Kingsbury. Hmm. I, I don't disagree with the Kingsbury uh, drama here, but I think that uh, there, there should be a lot of eyeballs on Russell Wilson and what we mm-hmm. expect uh, because he doesn't have a Pete Carroll on the sideline so far. Uh, that means more expectations on him. Right, and when Nathaniel Hackett potentially cleans up some of this, how much will that end up reflecting on Russ? And, you know, are those really connected, or are we watching a guy kind of slide down? Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.